Thank you, worship team. That was a real blessing this morning. Please turn with me as we continue our worship to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. My assignment this morning is to, is to lead the church in a vision forward. And I cannot think of a better way to do that by showing you a church here in the book of Acts that really we can model ourselves around. And that church is the church at Antioch, Acts chapter 11. Before we read there, let me start with a a quote by John MacArthur from his book, The Master's Plan for the Church. And he said, a church must have functional goals and objectives, or it will have no direction. If you don't know where you're going, you won't know when you've arrived. A church that lacks direction will have no sense of accomplishment. God forbid that for us as a church. Recently I read in a, in a magazine, a world mission magazine, ITM, world mission magazine, they said in the article, an average of 85 churches closed in Britain each year since 1974. Church buildings have been used as offices, cinemas, mosques and warehouses. There's an abundance of church furnishings being made available for commercial enterprises. Christening fonts are being used as bird baths. Carved screens are in service as restaurant decorations. Pews are being made into garden seats. And stained glass windows are serving as business and household ornaments. And we recognize that there's no spiritual value in church furnishings, but surely... That situation here must be a a sad commentary on the the state of the health of the the church in Great Britain. And this may be true of Britain, or it may not, but when last did, did you stop and consider what had become even of those churches we read about in the New Testament? Many of you have been to visit the Holy Land and the regions around there, but how How easy has it been to find a a Bible-believing church there that fears God, a church that is healthy? And Jesus tells us in Revelation 2, as he sent this letter to the churches in those regions, that he would remove the the lampstand from these churches if they continued in a carnal, nominal, and unrepentant way. And we can assume that these churches, which are just, in some sense, Monuments, religious monuments, at one point in their existence, neglected their purpose and as a result lost the direction and missed their God-given goal. And With so many openings to the church in the Middle East, we need to be intentional as a church. We need to do everything we can to be a happy, healthy, holy church so that we can be an effective tool and an effective witness for our master and our king. If New Light's church is to avoid becoming just a religious museum or a cultural monument, we need to learn from history and we need to learn from scripture. and We need to be instructed from the word of God what the purpose of the church is. And just briefly, let me tell you if you're taking notes what I believe the purpose of the church to be. Some might say to glorify God. Others might say to to worship God. 
and others may say to make disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations. Well, all three of those, in fact, are synonyms. They are all correct. They are all what we are supposed to be doing. We cannot glorify God, nor can we worship God if we are not obeying God, specifically in the Great Commission. So with that introduction, let's look at Luke, sorry, Acts chapter 11, and we'll read this morning from verse 19 to verse 26, looking at this model church, a church that got it right. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Notice what's going on here. He's, he's really going there to spy on this church. Verse 23, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this example that you have chosen to record in your scriptures for our admonition, for our spiritual instruction, for our edification. We thank you for the witness and the testimony of the saints at Antioch as they went out and preached the Lord Jesus Christ to a region that didn't know about Christ. We thank you, Father, for the, the wonderful reputation they had as they were given the privilege to be called Christians for the first time in history. So, Lord, as we examine this passage this morning, we pray that you would help us to see how relevant this is for our situation here. We pray the Spirit of God, Lord, would help us to apply these truths so that we would understand the purpose for which you have called us all together, why we have been gathered from all different nations together here this morning as a church. Help us to see clearly, Lord, the way forward you have for us as a body of believers. Help us, Lord, to be with one heart and one mind this morning that we would desire to exalt your name, that we would have this common motive to see you glorified amongst the nations. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you some background this morning before we, we go into the text. The beginning of the book of Acts shows how earnestly the first Christians spread the news about Jesus. And the book opens on, on a hillside near Jerusalem where Jesus, was, well, where Jesus was ascending into heaven. And he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to briefly go through this so you can follow me if you want. He said to them in, in Acts 1 verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that was Jesus' plan all along. The plan to evangelize the world. He was going to use the church to do that. And in the first few chapters of Acts, we see the early Christian church had, had done this. They had saturated their community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And who in turn, they moved through Jerusalem like, like wildfire. If you look at Acts 5, verse 28, the, the church grew so fast that the Jewish leaders, they said this. This was recorded. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's a wonderful thing, even though they meant it as, a, as an insult. But their message had, had penetrated the community. And a church that is effective, a church that is healthy, will have a strong emphasis, emphasis on penetrating the community. And let me just state the obvious this morning. We are to reach people for Christ. I don't know how more simple to say that. It is our responsibility, it is our duty as a church to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the apostles were taking seriously what Christ had taught them. And the Lord had invested three years with these disciples, and now they were teaching others as they were supposed to do. They were investing into people. They were discipling people. And this was, this was a wonderful result. We see these new believers. And the things that the disciples had heard from Jesus, as Paul instructed in 2 Timothy chapter 2, they were to commit to other faithful people who were able to teach others also. And this pattern was established. The church was penetrating the community with the word of God. And they were reaching people for Christ. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The commenters mentioned, The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The church at Jerusalem has been firmly established. And for several years, as far as we know, this is the, the only Christian church on the whole planet. But the Lord had commanded the believers in Jerusalem to be witnesses unto him, both in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and all Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But yet, the church of Jerusalem had failed in that command. The church in Jerusalem was strong. The church in Jerusalem was big. But yet there was no other churches in any other region. And look at Acts chapter 8. It tells us that the Apostle Paul was instrumental in helping really the church. At this point, he wasn't the Apostle Paul. He was, he was Saul the destroyer. Okay? Um, the Lord used him to raise up people who would be dispersed to, to start other churches. And in order for the gospel to spread, in order for the Lord to help these people in their obedience, he brought along persecution. And we read in Acts 8 verse 3, Paul, Saul, sorry, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. Because of this great persecution against the church, Jerusalem ended up being scattered. And we see in verse 1, 8 verse 1, the scattered, they scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. See, the Lord's will was going to be done. Regardless of man's disobedience, 
And we see the Lord brought this persecution. He brought the suffering for a purpose. And the second stage of the church growth opens with this violent persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And many of these believers in Jerusalem now fled the city. And wherever the Christians went, we see from our passage in Acts 11, they were witnessing, they were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And their testimony and the power of the Spirit brought many people to faith in Christ. And this is where we come to our passage. With this background in mind, we we turn to Acts chapter 11. And my first point is preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 19 and 20, we see here, These who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. I think this was because of fear. They were afraid of really preaching the gospel to to other people because of the persecution that was happening. But eventually we see they become more and more bold in their faith. And this, this preaching happens to everybody. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ now had traveled beyond the borders of Israel into Antioch. And Antioch was, was called the capital of the, the Greek kings of Syria. So no longer is the gospel of Jesus in, in, in Israel. This was a city of great political importance. Um, after Jerusalem, this city now is intimately connected with the history of the apostolic church. And Jews are now settled here in this church in, in large numbers. This is really the first expat church, you can, you can say. And this country was governed by their own different ethnic groups and, and allowed the similar political privileges that the Greeks had. But in Acts 11, we see a group of cross-bearing disciples who are preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And they understand their need to bear their cross. They understand that they are to, to show people who Christ is. And they did not just preach Jesus. We see in Acts 19 verse 20, the emphasis that is added there, they preached the Lord Jesus. They were preaching about His, his lordship over them. Not just about a person, not just a name, not just a God amongst many other gods as the Greeks would have understood it. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. They preached about his cross. They preached about his death. They preached about his burial. They preached about his resurrection. And they preached the need for believers to take up their own cross and to follow Christ. This was a a radical message in in a time where Christianity was not popular, in a time where Christians were being persecuted. They preached a faithful gospel. We see in verse 21, my second point, they imitated the Lord Jesus Christ. As they faithfully preached the full counsel of God, we see the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And it's significant to notice that the converts turned to the Lord. They turned away from their idols, which they must have been worshipping in this, in this pantheo, um, 
culture, in, in the Greek culture, and they turned to worship the Lord Jesus. There's a turning. There was a, a turning away from what they were worshiping, a, a repentance, and now following the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no superficial embrace here at all. Jesus was now their Lord, their one and only Lord. And they bowed to him as their master and their king. And they handed over the reins of their life to, to Jesus. And they acknowledged his lordship over their lives. And as a result, they became his disciples. And the church at Jerusalem now hears about this church. This church that is changing the region as they know it with the gospel of Jesus. And they send out a spy. They send out Barnabas to examine the situation and to, and to give a report back of really what is going on in, um, in Antioch. We see in verse 23, look at Acts eleven twenty-three. Upon arriving, Barnabas sees evidence of what? It says there, the grace of God. He sees evidence of the grace of God in the lives of these people. And he is glad. He is glad. I think he's relieved, but he is glad. And it tells us that he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This is a church that had a purpose. This is not a church that that didn't know what they were doing. This wasn't a church that was just wandering aimlessly. They had a purpose. And it was clear even for Barnabas to see. And he exhorts them, remain faithful, remain faithful. And fairly soon, this situation becomes too big for for Barnabas to manage, to handle alone. He's not an apostle. Um, He's simply one of the deacons of the church in Jerusalem. So he goes and he looks for a faithful teacher. And he finds the apostle Paul, who now had been saved and converted, radical conversion. And he finds Saul... And he brings him back to Antioch. Look at Acts 11, verse 26. And we read, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. This was their primary role for a year, was just to teach these saints. These saints who had just been saved, who had just heard about the Lord Jesus, who had just given their lives to God, were now being taught the apostles' doctrine, the word of God. And they teach faithfully. They make disciples faithfully. They show these disciples how to observe the Word of God. They teach them how to keep their their eyes fixed upon the Word of God, the apostles' doctrine. They teach them how to guard the precious Scriptures in their hearts. And as a result, we see a Christ-like conduct coming about from these believers. And in verse 26... This is where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning. We find the first use of the word Christian in the Bible. Amongst um, biblical scholars, there is a, a thing called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention says that to understand a particular word or a particular doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that the word or doctrine is revealed and study that passage. And the reason is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is, is often the simplest and clearest presentation. And later on it gets fully more developed on this foundation. So the word Christian is mentioned here. 
In fact, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the whole Bible. It's mentioned twice in the book of Acts, and it's mentioned one other time in 1 Peter chapter 4. Three times in the whole Bible. And the word Christian simply means a person belonging to or following Christ. You know, we live in a day and age where, where the word Christian is, is so misunderstood. In India, we had, we had a Reformed Christians, we had Pentecostal Christians, we had nominal Christians, we had backslidden Christians, we had um, happy clappy Christians, we had all these different types of Christians categorized into different ways. And if you consider how precious that word is, being used only three times in the whole Bible, I think there's a, a misunderstanding of this word. But let's examine this word. These believers here in Antioch. They have turned to the Lord, they are cleaving to the Lord, and are now becoming more and more Christ-like. And as they grow more in Christ-likeness, we see in verse 26, they are first called Christians. It's important to notice here, they didn't give this name to themselves. They were called Christians by the community around them, by the world that was watching them, as those who had turned to the Lord, began to, people began to notice their Christ-like behavior. And they said, you, you are not just following Christ. You're not just learning about Christ, as the word disciple implicates. You are just like him. You are just like that person, Jesus of Nazareth. And that was an insult, but a wonderful compliment to this church that will always be recorded forever and ever as the first church they were called Christian. What a compliment. What a, what a wonderful reputation. You guys are just like Jesus Christ. And as you continue to read this chapter, we see in verse 29 and verse 30 that these Christians are proving their Christ-likeness by sending a love gift, a much-needed love gift to to the struggling church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the church that was mostly just Jewish, the church that was struggling with the famine, they send a love gift to them. And there must have been some cultural tensions between this Gentile church and, and the Jewish church. But in love, they sent this gift nonetheless, showing their Christ-likeness. We see that these disciples have truly become Christians. And their fruit has been proved by their, their actions, by the root. Their, their root is clearly in Christ. It's not a, in another, another person, not in, a, in another teacher. Their root is in Christ, and there is visible fruit. We just read that in John 15 this morning. They have taken on the character of, of the root that they are joined into. And people are seeing Christ in their lives. And this world is is able to see it without a doubt. And they refer to them as Christian. Later on in Acts 13, we see the same church sending out missionaries. The first mission-sending church. This church got it right. This church understood their, their purpose. This church had a vision. They had a goal, and they were fulfilling it faithfully. 
And people saw that. They were different. People saw them acting like Christ. We come to our third point. As we consider the first use of the word Christian in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. The principle of becoming like Christ. Why were the disciples called Christians first in Antioch? Now, what was it that led people to call them Christian? And, and how did these disciples become Christians? Well, understand, again, it was the world that called them a Christian. It wasn't them. They were called disciples. They were simply called disciples. And we have many disciples all over the world even today. We have disciples of, of Buddha. We have disciples of Krishna. We have disciples of Muhammad. We have disciples of, of all different teachers in the world today. And they were disciples of Christ. They were first disciples, and then they were called Christians. See the order here. It's, it's significant for us to notice this. These disciples were, were willing to take up their, their cross. Now, Matthew 16, 24 tells us that those who are genuine disciples will become Christians, and they will take up their cross. They will not deny Christ, and they will follow Him. Those are imperatives. They will do these things. It's not an option. If you're a Christian, you don't have an option. Will I follow Christ or will I not follow Christ? And there's some confusion, I think, in our day and age. If your root is in Christ, you will always produce the fruit of Christ. It's sad today that people call themselves Christians and there's no fruit in their, in their lives. I remember meeting a a pastor in India who, who was in the ministry for many years and was called a Christian, but was also known as a drunkard, a person who had a reputation of getting drunk often. A terrible reputation. How can you call yourself Christ when you are not bearing the fruit of Christ in your life? I'm sure there's many examples that you could think of yourself. People who, who wear crosses around their necks, but don't behave anything like Christ, but still call themselves Christian. We've seen this record of this first Christian church in history. But the question we need to answer is how this happened. How did these disciples become Christians? Well, as I considered this passage, I came up with four points I want us to consider together. Four points this morning, which I briefly want to share before we close. When Paul, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them, it says in verse 23. He taught them to remain true to Christ. These were Barnabas' words to this church, this Christian church. The KJV, the King James Version, uses the word cleave in that verse instead of remain. It's, it's a stronger word with a similar meaning, but the Greek, Greek word for cleave, the Greek word for remain is prosmeno. And that word cleave means to glue to. It means to, to stick to, to adhere to. And a similar word is used in Matthew 15, um, which is translated as continue. When, when Jesus is speaking to the crowd and he tells him to remain, to remain with him for three days. And that word is also used in Acts 18, verse 
18, where, where Paul tells the church at Corinth to, to tarry with them for, for some time. It's used again in 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. When Paul gives the charge to, to Timothy, he reminds him to abide in Christ. That word abide is the same word. And again, it's used in 1 Timothy 5 verse 5 where he tells him to continue. So this word means to remain true, to remain faithful, to continue in Christ. And these believers did that. These believers did that. They abided faithfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. There were trials that they faced. There were problems that they had to go through. They were, they were a Gentile church. They were expats living in a foreign land. There were trials that they faced. But they were faithful. They were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ in all of their trials. They lived with the reality of John 15 clearly in their minds. They remained true to the root who was the Lord Jesus Christ so that their branches would bear fruit. Fruit, they would glorify Christ. And they did this. They did this successfully. They did this joyfully. We see, secondly, as they remained true, these believers were taught to observe Christ's commandments. And this is certainly the case. And this is an important part of the, the commission that the Lord gives us as a, as a church. It's an important part of this church's life so that they understood what their direction was, so that they understood what their purpose was. The Lord said to them in Matthew 28, we, we all know this as the Great Commission. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he gives them an instruction. Go, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then he tells them how to do that. Teaching them to observe all things what I have commanded you. Not some things, some things that you prefer. All things. We cannot pick and choose what we want to obey from the scriptures. And that is clear right here from this command. Teach them all things. To observe these things, to guard these things, to protect these things, even till the end of the world. This command is for, for us as well, folks. It wasn't just for these disciples. It's for us today who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. It's for us today who are Christian. We are to obey this commandment until the end of the world. Thirdly, we see... These disciples were taught to do that which was selfless. This was again taking on the character of Christ. We see in Philippians 2, verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made manifest of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient and to death, even the death of the cross. This is Christ. This is Christ. And this is the character of Christ that, that we need to take on. This is the character of Christ that we need to display. Jesus Christ did not think about himself when he came to earth. Throughout his ministry, he was 
thinking about others all of the time. He was healing, he was teaching, and he was dying, dying to his right as the, the Son of God. He was completely selfless. And as these disciples lived selflessly, imitating his character, they took on the character of Christ themselves. They served. They ministered. They esteemed others better than themselves. And fourthly, we see these disciples took up their cross daily and continued to grow in Christ-likeness. Christ came to the earth for the express purpose of taking up his cross. And thank God he did that, folks. Thank God he did that. Thank God he was obedient to the will of the Father. And he died on that cross. Where would we be without his obedience this morning? Thank God for that. And these disciples followed his example. They took up their cross. Choosing to suffer rather then their comforts. And they grew in Christ-likeness. They cleaved to Christ. They obeyed His commandments. And often that, that will bring persecution. And sometimes it will bring death. Just like it did to our Savior. But nonetheless, we are required to take up our cross. Wherever that may lead, we are to take up our cross. At the end of the day, these disciples chose to cleave rather than the comfort that the world offered them. And because they were cleaving persistently to the Lord, they grew to be more and more like their Lord. And as a result, they were branded Christian by the world around them. This is how we become Christian. If we are not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you are not a believer, you cannot become a Christian. If you're not a, a follower of Christ, if you're not a disciple of Christ, you cannot be calling yourself a Christian. Christians are those who take up their cross. We cannot separate them. We are obliged, folks, just like the church in Antioch, to choose to take up our cross rather than to enjoy the world and all of its lusts, which Satan wants us to. Finally, we need to understand the power behind becoming a Christian is not from ourselves. No matter how brilliant we are, no matter how educated we are, no matter how much resources we are, the power is from Christ alone. Philippians 4, verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things, not by myself, through Christ, which strengthens me. If we are to be a happy, healthy, holy church, our desire must be to know Him and the power of His resurrection. To know the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, to understand His resurrection, His forgiveness. And being confident of these things. Being confident that He that Jesus, which has begun a good work, will perform it until the day of his return. Are we confident of these things? Are we, are we looking forward to these things? The power behind becoming a Christian is all of God. And God has given us means to this power. We have Christian partners. 
Last week I mentioned at the Lord's table that we have a means of grace in the Lord's Supper. But the local church, folks, is also a means of grace. He has put us together that we can experience His power together. And we who are members of this local church need to help each other carry this cross. We need to help each other bear this burden. In the local church, we can fellowship together. And we can hold each other accountable. And we can encourage one another. And we can forgive each other. We are humans. We are sinful, redeemed humans. We need to display the character of Christ. And I hope that for each believer in New Life Church, our goal is the same. To be like Christ. Let us partner in this effort. Hebrews 10 tells us, in verse 24, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the truth is, folks, the day is drawing near. The day that we will all stand before God and give an account of our lives to the Lord. Let us not waste the opportunities that the, the Lord has blessed us with to make disciples of His Son. Let's not waste the reason why He has brought us together from all different countries as a body of believers here in the middle of the 1040 window in the Middle East. Let us not waste the choices that we make. Let us choose Christ. Let us choose the cross rather than sin and all of its wicked consequences. Let's choose obedience rather than rebellion. The church exists to glorify God by worshipfully making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in all nations. If we are not committed to the Great Commission, can we really claim to be worshiping and glorifying God? Discipleship is the heartbeat of God. Are we being faithful? Or is this our heartbeat? Jesus tells us, go, make disciples. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And in the scriptures that we have studied together today, we've seen this expat church, the first church to be called Christian, a congregation that the Lord used to make a difference for His glory, a church that will always be recorded in history because of their faithfulness. And the secret to being a happy, healthy, holy church is to take up our cross and to help others take up theirs as well. And we need to remember always that it is God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And may we all with one heart and, and one mind desire to be a church that wants to make a difference for our Savior's glory. May we fellowship together. May we fight the good fight together. May we forgive together. And as a result, may we earn the reputation of being Christian, just like Christ. Let's pray.